We begin with the letter A. A is for... M is for murder. E is for... Danger! And, uh... Dodge. With... Monster. Help! Love me and be... Please! Help! Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another fine, fabulous episode of the Is For Podcast. I am joined here by uh, my two co-hosts. He uh, he is white and nerdy. Sarge, say hi. Howdy. And uh, he uh, he grew up in what can only be described as a Amish paradise. Monster. Howdy. How are you? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> With the fine introduction of song titles describing the gentleman uh we are going to be discussing the letter y and the letter y tonight is for mr al fred yankovic weird al weird al yankovic sarge tell me about your love or hate of weird al don't really have a love don't really have a hate okay i'm trying to think of the best way to summarize like i enjoy some of his songs some of it's funny especially when they're like uh when they made fun of star wars Gangster's Paradise was always good. Uh, well, Michael his, Jackson, his any Michael Jackson song paradise. that he made fun of was was wonderful. So, okay, would I pay money to go see him in concert? No. Mm. Mm. Monster. The exact opposite of everything <laughs> Sarge just said. Okay. I cool. love Weird Al. I grew up listening to Weird Al. My dad loved him, especially the music videos. Like. Listening to his music is fun, but the music videos are so good. And watching them back to back with the original is so much fun. I love Weird Al. I always have. I always will. I think his brand of humor is right in my sweet spot. It's it's that PG slash PG-13 innuendo kind of humor that I love. Yeah. Weird, Weird Al's kind of special to me. I like him a lot. Okay. I mean... That might be because you're a little weird, but you know, you know, absolutely, one hundred percent. Okay, well, we are going to dive right on into talking about Alfred Matthew Yankovic. That's right, Alfred Matthew. I don't. I, no. Okay, so born in 1959, he is a singer, musician, songwriter, record producer, actor, and author. He has sold more than 12 million albums, recorded more than 150 parodies and original songs. That is a lot of parodies. And he's performed more than a thousand live shows. Now, I I, I think that that's um, interesting because I feel like if you've been around for this long and you've done this many albums and this many songs, you should have done more than a thousand shows. Well, it well, is, does say more than, but you know. Well, here's the thing. Weird Al shows are not just him getting on stage and playing the songs. It's very theatrical. There's yeah. costume changes. It's it's a huge production. Yeah. Before we go any further, this was something that I was actually wondering going into researching this. Under the fair use provision of the U.S. copyright law affirmed by the United States Supreme Court in the 1994 case Campbell versus. ACUF-ROSE Music Incorporated, it's A-C-U-F-F, artists do not need permission to record a parody of a song. 
Yegovic needs to negotiate for royalties to the original artist for including their songs within a polka medley. So he's done, uh, on almost every album, he does polka medleys, which are basically seen as covers. Um, they're mm-hmm. considered covers in copyright law. And uh, it's created difficulties in recording his first medley, Polkas on 45. It involved 13 different royalty schemes, like levels of mm-hmm. things. Good God, nightmare. But yeah. since he has established a relationship with most large music publishers, uh, it's easier to secure licenses to songs. So he's like Rock's funny, nice guy, I guess. <laughs> like he's just, he's just a genuinely nice guy from everything that I've found in my research. So doing a little research and just general knowledge on Weird Al from over the years, you, to your point, I don't know that you need expressed written consent to do a parody, but he always reached out to the artist and asked for their permission. Yep. We're going to dive. We're going to get all yeah, into that. I'm um, sure we will. Well, I won't, I won't steal any thunder, but um, no, we'll but, get into, yeah. we'll get into why he does that. Okay. So. All right. So we're going to start at the beginning. So Mary Elizabeth uh, Vivalda married Nick Yankovic in 1949. Alfred Matthew Yankovic was born in Downey, California and raised in Linwood, California. He was the only child of Mary and Nick. Uh, His father, who grew up in Kansas City, and he was of Yugoslavian descent, uh, and the original surname was spelt J-A-N-K-O-V-I-C with a little accent mark. Um, (laughs) I'm not really sure how you pronounce the C with an accent mark. Sarge, any idea? Nope, not uh, from there. Okay. You struck <laughs> me as, you strike me as a Yugoslavian man. He began No. No, I know. I know you're not. More Scandinavian than anything. But <laughs> I moved to California after earning two Purple Hearts in World War II. He believed the key to success was doing for a living whatever makes you happy. And that is what Weird Al kind of grasped. He he loved doing the parodies and, and making music. His mother Old Mary, stenographer from Kentucky. She was of English and Italian descent, which uh, their parents uh, did not approve of the Yugoslavian uh, Nick getting together with the English and Italian Mary. It was, uh, it was, it was, it was not, they were not happy about that. But anyway, moved to California a decade before Mr. Alfred was born. Uh, are we going to, okay, so. Are we going to refer to him as Al, Alfred, Weird Al, or Yankovic? I mean, because I've, I've like, I interchanged them all throughout this. And yeah, it's, it's Y for Yankovic, but I think Weird Al is the most appropriate answer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, given that this man is a legend, right? And I believe, if I remember right, he didn't add the weird to his name until what, college, maybe? I think it was college, maybe. I'm not quite sure. I'm sure you have more information on that. I than do. I, do I think I Dr. Do. <laughs> Demento has something to say about that. Mm, Dr. Demento actually didn't have a lot to do with the name, but we will, uh, we'll get to where the weird Al name comes from. But go on, so Sarge. I think it would just do this legend some justice just to call him what everybody knows him as. And that's weird Al. Mr. Mr. Have you heard weird Al's new song. Okay. Weird Al. All right. So, um, he had his first accordion lesson the day before his seventh birthday, and it was a door-to-door salesman, which 
I know, I know you monster, you watched the uh, Weird Al movie as I did. Yeah. And yes. it's funny because as I was going, as I was doing all this research, I've stopped and I watched the movie in the middle of it. And it was like, yeah, th- those things are true, but most of those things are not. <laughs> so, and, and, and we'll probably get to the movie a little bit later, so I won't get real deep into it. Just a but, little bit. So Okay, but the movie is basically like Weird Al's music. It's mm-hmm. just a parody. Mm-hmm. It's a spoof on his life and movie genres in general. Thomas Lennon, Lieutenant Dangle from Reno 911, plays mm-hmm. the door-to-door accordion salesman. Right. And it's a very small role, but God, it's incredible. The movie what a, is what full, a fun movie. The movie is full of celebrities doing oh very God. small roles. Yeah. So yeah. Weird Al claims that his parents chose the accordion over guitar because, and he quotes, um, they figured there should be at least one more accordion playing Yankovic in the world. And it was referencing Frankie Yankovic, who of course is polka musician because, uh, the accordion is not prevalent in any other type of music, but anyway, no relation. So, um, even his parents had a sense of humor about things. He also said they chose the accordion because, uh, they were convinced it would revolutionize rock. They had a vision of the future, evidently. So, um, (laughs) He had plenty of time to uh, to learn how to play the instrument because his mom didn't let him outside. It, you know, she was scared of the world outside. So anyway, in the seventies, Weird Al became a big fan of Elton John and cites the album uh, "Goodbye Yellow Brick Road" as one of the reasons he learned to play rock and roll on the accordion. And uh, that I think that album influenced a lot of musicians. So, but he has a few big influences for what kind of perpetuated or propelled him into uh, rock music. And now I know that you monster have a personal touch, personal relationship with, with one of these. So Stan Freeberg, he was a television series or on the television series time for Benny. He did uh, multiple characters on Looney Tunes, such as Pete Puma and Bertie. And then he also did uh, voiceovers and stuff for multiple classic television commercials. Pretty much anything of the 50s or 60s, he had his hand in. Spike Jones uh, was a musician, a band leader, not the Spike Jones you're thinking of, Monster. Musician, <laughs> a band leader, because I had the same first thought, uh, specializing in spoof arrangements of popular songs and a classically trained musician. Tom Lehrer, Lehrer, L E H R E R, Lehrer, Lehrer. Yeah, singer-songwriter and satirist and mathematician. And his big ones were The Elements was the name of the song. And it was, he set the names of chemical elements to the tune of Major General's Song from Gilbert and Sullivan's Pirates of Penzance. I don't P-E-N-Z-A-N-C-E? Penzance? Okay. Al Sherman. And biggest hit was Hello Mada Hello Fada. You know. I love that song. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a fun song. But I did not know this, but Shell Silverstein was actually a big uh influence of his. I did not know that Shell Silverstein did music. It included a large catalog of songs, a number of them were hits for other artists, most notably the rock group Dr. Hook and the Medicine Show. Uh he wrote Temple Glassers, Put Another Log on the Fire, One's on the Way and Hey Loretta. And then he also wrote Johnny Cash's 25 Minutes to Go. And then the last person that he says was one of the biggest influences was Mr. Frank Zappa. 
And yes. Monster, I do know that your your father is a huge Frank Zappa fan. So growing up, I heard a lot of Frank Zappa around the house, and I didn't get it. I thought it was noise. I didn't understand what constituted that as music. And as I've gotten older, I have gained such an appreciation for it. And I love it. I absolutely love it. It's not for everybody. No, but it's not for me. It might not be for you now, but it might click one day. I didn't think it was for me either. And I heard it every day for 20 some years. Old man day, Luke. <laughs> then one day, like in my late 20s, early 30s, I was listening to Overnight Sensation or Apostrophe. Those two are my favorite. And it just clicked. And I was like, you, oh my God, this is brilliant. Just using context clues, I'm going to assume that those are two Frank Zappa songs. No, they're two Frank Zappa records. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Apostrophe okay. and Overnight Sensation are two albums. But yeah, uh, Hot Rats, Joe's Garage. I, uh, yeah, you, you never know when it'll sneak up on you. You're Do just you need to wake up early tomorrow and go get your senior coffee? No, 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 no. One day you're just living life. And next thing you know, you're thinking about, Frank Zappa songs and turning that water black and, and watch out where the Huskies go. Don't you, you eat are you going to snow? you going to go meet your friends at McDonald's at three thirty, four o'clock in the morning and talk <laughs> about the same things you've been talking about for the last 30 years. Hey, Hey, don't knock it till you rock it. One day you two are going to come to me and be like, Hey, you know what? You were right. It snuck up on me, but that Frank Zappa is pretty cool. Yeah, uh, that, that album snuck up on me and scared me. <laughs> no, it is scary. Never, that's never going to happen. I can almost yep. guarantee it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, music hasn't ever really been sneaky in my my world. <laughs> I feel like what you were was um, brainwashed. <laughs> you you were just played it until you it's decided that you conditioning. Liked it. Yes, conditioning until I gave up and just accepted it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, also Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> so, all right. At least you didn't bust out the G word. The G word. Yeah. He's Sorry. being groomed. Ah. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, it's a little monster. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, and in addition to all those, <laughs> he credits all the and he quotes all the wonderfully sick and twisted artists he found through the monster. Dr. Demento show. Yeah. Yes. All right. He also read a lot of Mad Magazine, Money, or, or watched a lot of Money Python, and Zucker Abrams and Zucker movies, and George Carlin's uh, stand-up comedy album, AM and FM. He listened to so much that he actually ended up transcribing the entire thing to a typewriter just for fun. Because when you're playing an accordion, almost anything is more fun. <laughs> All right. Did we get into why he played the accordion? Yeah, his uh, his parents thought it was going to revolutionize rock and roll, and they chose the accordion over guitar. Yeah, because the door to door salesman. Yeah, I yeah I I'd see like you just rewind in the recording. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, if you I'm go just, back about nine minutes before well, I was just fun of me for listening to Frank Zappa, he explained nah, all this. It's 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 totally worth it. All right, I just think it's I just think that it's interesting that 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 was chose over the guitar. And yet he still chose and found a way to play other instruments. Pretty, if I remember right, pretty much on his own. Yeah, he so. uh, he did end up learning most instruments just on his own. So, all right, 
Uh, he started kindergarten a year later than most children and skipped second grade. Later saying, my classmates seemed to think that I was some kind of rocket scientist, so I was labeled a nerd early on. He attended Linwood, uh, Linwood High School, where he was two years younger than most of his classmates. Um, and he was not interested in sports or social events, but was active in the National Forensic League sanctioned uh, public speaking events, a play based on Rebel Without a Cause, the yearbook, he wrote most of the captions for it, and Volcano Worshippers Club, which he later said did absolutely nothing and was just started or was started just to get extra picture of themselves in the yearbook. <laughs> so the Volcano Worshippers Club. Mm-hmm. So the VWC. Yeah. All right. Graduated in 1976, Val Victorian. Uh, he attended California Polytechnic State University, and he earned a bachelor's degree in architecture. Yes, architecture. So Mr. Weird Al knows how to build a building, or at least design a building. So, all right. He received his first exposure via syndicated comedy radio personality, Dr. Demento. Mm-hmm. It was based out of Southern California. And he was later saying, if there hadn't been a Dr. Demento, I'd probably have a real job now. Despite his mother catching him listening to Dr. Demento when he was younger and banning him from listening to it again, he found ways to hear it discreetly, he said. Um, In 76, when he was 16, Dr. Demento spoke at his school. Yankovic, sorry, Weird Al. It's another place where... Whatever. Whatever. Just just roll. The subject of this episode (laughs) gave him... (laughs) a cassette tape that he recorded in his bedroom. And the first song was Belvedere, Belvedere cruising about his family's Plymouth Belvedere. Um, it was played on Dr. Domino's radio show, launching his career. He basically listened to it once and went, Oh shit, this is really good. And put it on the air. And he said, Belvedere cruising might not have been the very best song I've ever heard, but it had some clever lines. I put the tape on the air immediately. So I, think that that says a lot for for a young accordion musician, accordion player. So during his second year as an architecture student, he became a disc jockey at KCPR, the uh, college radio station there. He had been called, and this is where we're going to get to where the name came from. He'd been called Weird Al originally as a derogatory nickname. People making fun of him there in the dorms at college. And uh, he was seen as a strange outcast and uh, didn't fit in with the other residents. And he took it as an insult originally, and then he took it on professionally, and that became his name. He used that as his name at the radio station. So that's how we got the name. It was usually it was originally used to just make fun of him, and then he was like, you know what? I'm going to own this shit. So in 78, he released his first, his first recording as Alfred Yankovic, not Weird Al. It was Take Me Down, and it was on the LP Slow Grown, as a benefit for the Economic Opportunity Commission of San Luis Obispo County. That's a lot altogether. Um, The song just mocked uh, landmarks nearby, but wasn't really anything special. So mid-79, he recorded, and this was right before his senior year, he recorded my Sharona, or a cover of my Sharona called... My Bologna. There we go. It was a cover of the Knack song. And this is another part from the movie that was true. He took his accordion into the bathroom across the hall from the radio station, taking advantage of the uh, the acoustics in there. He sent it to Dr. Demento, who played it right away. Of course, got good response from people 
Mr. Yankovic. Uh, he met the Knack after a show in his college and uh, introduced himself as the author of My Bologna. Um, the Knack's lead singer, Doug Figer, said he liked the song and suggested that Capitol Records Vice President Rupert Perry release it as a single. My Bologna was released as a single with School Cafeteria as a B-side, and the label gave him a six-month recording contract. So that was how he stepped up, like just kind of fell into good footsteps the whole way. It, it's a progression of a music career, but, you know, things don't work like that anymore, as you know, Monster. Yeah, I was just getting ready to say, like, the the way he did it makes perfect sense for the 70s. <laughs> um, yeah. And now in the digital era, it's so much trickier to get your song out there. And and I and I truly believe a lot of this worked out in his favor because he was just such a pure soul. Like he was mm-hmm. such a good man that it it just worked in hey, his favor. Like I say, he's just rocks, fight, nice, funny guy. That's it. Yep. Yep. So in September 1980, he was a guest on the Dr. Demento show and he wanted to record a new parody live. Now, Monster, he did a parody of a Queen song. What song? Another one rides another one rides the bus. Right. Parody of Another One Bites the Dust. So while practicing the song outside of the sound booth, getting ready for the show, he met John Bermuda Schwartz. (laughs) Nice name. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, it, it, you know, Bermuda in quotations, last name Schwartz, S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z. He told him he was a drummer and agreed to bang on his accordion case to help him keep beat during the song. And then we have a drummer. They, he's been with him ever since. Yep. They rehearsed the song just a few times before the show. Uh, another one, Rides the Bus, became so popular that his first television appearance was a performance of the song on The Tomorrow Show with Tom Snyder. I assume The Tomorrow Show was a popular show. I don't I don't know. Now it's more of a yesterday show because it's... Anyway. And on the show, Yankovic plays accordion. And again, Schwartz banged on the accordion case and provided sound effects. He had whistles and other things going. You know, he recorded the album with that. But then his record label, TK Records, went bankrupt about two weeks after the single was released. So then he received no royalties from that song, and he never has. <laughs> I want to say he's re-recorded it. I don't know. I didn't look into it too much, but I, I would think that he got royalties at least from the uh, the movie because he actually did all the singing for the movie. So mm-hmm. yeah. first tour was part of Doctor Demento's stage. Uh, well, he was part of Doctor Demento's stage tour, uh, stage show. Stage act in Phoenix, Arizona nightclub caught the attention of manager Jay Levy. And he was, uh, quote unquote, blown away. Levy asked him if he had considered creating a full band and doing uh, music as a career. And he said he had thought about it from time to time. Then I uh, held auditions. Steve Jay was a new bass player. Jay's friend, Jim West, played guitar. And he still kept Schwartz. Old Bermuda. Yep. So... First show with the new band, March 82. And then uh, recorded with the first song recorded with the new band is cover of I Love Rock and Roll by the Arrows. And it was I Love Rocky Road. I feel like I should insert like song clips, like, you know, hmm. like 10 seconds so, so that we can't get well, sued. Hold on. Hold on. You said by the Arrows. I thought it was Joan Jett. 
originally by the Arrows, and then Joan Jett. Wow. Recorded it, okay. yeah. I didn't See, know that. Nice. Okay. We learn stuff on this show, too, ladies and gentlemen. I'm learning, yes. Yeah. So I looked it up. Yes, uh, he re-released uh, Another One Rides the Bus on his debut album back in 1983. So he is getting royalties for it now. Okay. I like the song, actually. So it's a fun song. I've never heard it. I'm probably going to listen to it after this. Yeah. It's a fun song. It's so. real. It's it's definitely primitive compared to some of his later work, mm -hmm. but the joke is there and yep. and it works. It's it's clever. Yeah. So I love Rocky Road is a hit on Top Forty Radio, and it led him to signing with the Scotty Brothers Records, which Yankovic played one of the Scotty Brothers in the movie. And eighty three, his first self titled album was released on the Scotty Bros record label. The song Ricky, parody of Mickey. Hey, Mickey, you're so funny. Okay. Uh, it was released as a single for the album. The music video got played on the fresh-faced MTV. It broke the top 100 videos on MTV at the time. And I feel like at that time, MTV probably had 100 videos to play total. So, but, and, and now they don't play any, and they've got a lot of them. And, and just for clarification, in case anybody is not clear... Ricky is a spoof of I Love Lucy. He's she's singing about Lucy's husband, Ricky. Well, Ricky a, Ricardo. Yeah. And the, the subject is Ricky Ricardo. It's a spoof yes. of Mickey. Yeah. Whatever. We're talking about a band that does spoofs where you should at least <laughs> use the word correctly. Fair enough. So anyway, after this happened, he said, you know what? Done with uh, working and uh, working a, a regular job and just quit to pursue full-time. So then went on to release his second album, Weird Al Yankovic in 3D. came out in 84. The first single, Eat It, a parody of Beat It, became popular thanks apart to the music video. It was a shot-for-shot -shot parody of Michael Jackson's Beat It video, and he sarcastically described it as appearance as an uncanny resemblance to Michael Jackson. <laughs> Really? Yeah. If you if you go back and watch him doing the choreography, it's hilarious. He's like nailing it, but because he's such an awkward, gangly guy, it's hilarious. But he's and also again, in the fat suit and doing it. No, 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 no. Not no. need it. Not no. need it. That's well, not until uh bad when he does oh, that's fat. fat. That's right. when he's okay. in the fat suit. Which um but again, another reason that Weird Al kind of spoke to me was because I was such a huge Michael Jackson fan and some of his biggest songs were spoofs of Michael Jackson songs. So it just, it, it all just like worked for monster. <laughs> well, when you said one of the reasons why weird Al spoke to you was I, I was expecting you to say something along the lines of, he said, move it kid. I got to get to my bus. And cause you were in his way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, no, uh, I have seen him in concert, but I did not meet him, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Michael Jackson was actually a huge fan of, of Weird Al. And he claimed that, uh, that Michael Jackson had always been very supportive of his work. And Jackson two times gave him permission to parody his songs. Beat It and Bad became Eat It and Fat. <laughs> and, uh, Weird Al said that Michael Jackson's support helped gain approval from other uh, from other artists. Sorry, I'm having trouble with words tonight. Not a great night to be leading a podcast, but you know, here we are. So anyway, 
so because of his support, he was able to get more get permission easier from other artists. So except Coolio, because he was. A I was kid. gonna say, did Michael oh. not call Coolio? Oh, no, we, right. We will get into the uh, into the Coolio fiasco that was not so Coolio, but Edith also helped by Yankovic by one of Yankovic's LTV specials that aired on MTV on oh April first, April first, nineteen eighty four. <laughs> so MTV was using was tr- using him to try to boost them, and he was using them to try to boost him. So Edith peaked at number two on uh, Billboard April fourteenth, nineteen eighty four. It remained his highest charting single until White and Nerdy hit number nine in October ni- uh, two thousand six, and in Canada, Edith reached number five. Because I don't think we'll get like super into the movie. One of the funniest bits in the film. Hold on, is we're- that- where are you talking about the Weird Al movie or the movie that Weird Al did? Not UHF. All right, the, all right. the the new Weird Al movie. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. One of the funniest bits in that new movie is the whole beat it, eat it thing. Because during the, you know, Weird Al is starting to rise to stardom and he's known as this parody guy. So he says, I'm going to write a completely original song. And in the movie, eat it is original and weird Al wrote it. And then Michael Jackson did a parody called beat it. And there's this incredible scene where he's arguing Daniel Radcliffe as weird Al is arguing with weird Al as the record producer about what, what's it even about? And he's like, well, it's, it's it's about like avoiding fights. It's like, it's not even about food. It's, God, it's so funny. It's so stupid that it's funny. Right. So, June 18th, 85, the third studio album, Dare to be Stupid. So, Weird Al is the sole writer for all the songs and, for quote-unquote legal and personal reasons, does not accept parody submissions or ideas from fans. But there is one exception to this rule. Madonna was talking to a friend and happened to wonder aloud if he was going to turn her like a virgin into like a surgeon. Madonna's friend was a mutual friend of his manager, Jay Levy, and eventually Weird Al himself heard the story from Levy. And in 2011, Yankovic starred as the character Banana Man in an episode of Adventure Time. The same year, he appeared himself in How I Met Your Mother, the episode Noretta. Now, I am a huge How Much Your Mother fan. I've watched it several times over, and I I thought this was hilarious when I first saw it. So at the bar, uh, Ted starts claiming that he had suggested Weird Al the lyrics for uh, Like a Surgeon, and then Kevin and Robin go to the apartment, leaving Ted alone in the bar, where he meets a Weird Al fan who resembles his mother. It's a whole thing in the episode. Anyway, at the end of the episode, post credit scene sort of thing, or uh, pre-credits? I don't know. Anyway, this episode's over. But uh, there's a whole little little clip of uh, Weird Al in the 80s, decked out in like full 80s gear, 80s house, all this stuff, and uh, gets a letter from or re- going through fan mail and throws out different ideas of stupid uh, things. But then he opens Ted's letter of like a surgeon, and he starts to say it, starts to s- like sing words, and he... Vinny, start the tape recorder. And there's no Vinny anywhere. So that's all I got on that. 
<laughs> well, so uh, again in the movie, and just so we're clear, Weird Al did star in his own movie in the 80s called UHF, which yes. we'll get to. Which we're about um, to get to. So Yeah, but in 2022, um, a new film called Weird, the Al Yankovic story by Funny or Die just recently came out. It, it's kind of the spoof biopic. So in that, there's this whole thing about how Yankovic and Madonna start this like sexual relationship and he, she gets him addicted to, to drugs and alcohol. It's so ridiculous. It's so funny. But but the actual factual story, you are correct. That was kind of Madonna's idea to do mm-hmm. like a surgeon. And again, and, incredible music video. <laughs> the video is hilarious. And it's the only time it's ever been done uh, that somebody right, else comes right. up with the idea so anyway in 85 he co-wrote and starred in a mockumentary of his own life called the complete spelt c-o-m-p-l-e-a-t-l the complete l and the title was a parody of the complete beatles again the complete not having any there and it makes up facts real life fiction and all which seems to be a running theme the movie also features some clips of his trip to japan and some clips from the Al TV specials. And then uh, his band actually toured opening for the Monkees in 87. And with all this success, it led him to getting his film UHF, which uh, not many people know, but Michael Richards was in and uh, yep. actually does a great physical comedy job in that one. So anyway, it premiered in July of 89. And it's later become a like a cult film, cult classic, but it absolutely bombed. And uh, <laughs> on a budget of five million, it made six point one million. Ladies and gentlemen, that is not a, a return. return. No, no, it's not. <laughs> no. But I, I mean, but I mean, if I remember right, UHF was like a parody of like, like they did a bunch of the parodies. Was it REM was one of them? If I remember right. Well, it so oh my just gosh. like. Just like everything else he does, it's a spoof. And it was kind of a spoof of public access television. Right. And again, Weird Al is very niche. A spoof parody of public access television is very niche. Right. So there was only such a large audience for this concept. I yeah, think but didn't it did- do like rap and rock and... What else was prevalent in the eighties? Metal. I don't. Uh, I don't remember all that. Uh, it's been a long time. Really? Seen it, so. Yeah, it's been a long time, but it didn't really get into the music as much as like they're trying to do. Like, it's almost like a parody of stuff you would see on public access, like Bozo the Clown and Sesame Street and stuff like like that kind of stuff, right. but with Michael Richards and Weird Al, and they can't. Fran Drescher. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Fran Drescher was yeah in she's yeah. in there. I remember. That. Uh, yeah, it's it's very silly, and like you said, Danger. It it has garnered a cult following over the years, but when it first came out, people didn't know what the hell to do with it. No, no. But it was also up against Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Ghostbusters Two, Batman, and License to Kill. It was it was up against some some stiff competition for sure. So from the uh, from the soundtrack. They did a cover of Money for Nothing from Dire Straits, but they mixed Money for Nothing and Beverly Hill, or Beverly Hillbilly, excuse me. And Dire Straits members Mark Knopfler and Guy Fletcher perform on Money for Nothing slash Beverly Hillbillies. And the song is credited to Mark Knopfler and Sting. 
uh, writers of the original Money for Nothing, and Paul Henning, writer of The Ballad of Jed Clampett. So, <laughs> talk about the uh, the royalties and stuff. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he, he has trouble with it. So, he goes back to the studio and starts working on songs for Off the Deep End in 1990. And during production, Ruben Volterra joined the band and on keyboards. And this uh, this allowed him to kind of free up uh, himself on stage and really lean into that stage show that you were talking about, their monster. Mm-hmm. And it was also at this time that he uh, was given a book, Diet for a New America, by John Robbins, by his then-girlfriend, which then caused him to become a vegetarian, and he's been a vegetarian ever since. And when he was asked how he could perform shows at events like the Great American Rib Cook-Off as a vegetarian... I love his response. The same way I can rationalize playing at a college, even though I'm not a student anymore. <laughs> I, I like Good it. Good answer. Uh, yeah. Uh, sorry. By 1992, most of Off the Deep End was finished, but he still did not have a strong parody and was waiting on uh, the next big hit. And he was, you know, still in a bit of a slump from UHF, you know, not, <laughs> not being a, a hit when it was up against Batman and Ghostbusters and all. So anyway, Michael Jackson then goes and releases his next album, Dangerous. And off that album was Black and White. So Mr. Mr. Al quickly went to uh, went to the writing table, the notebook or whatever, and uh, wrote Snack All Night, parody of Black or White. Um, <laughs> and this is actually uh, the first time, the first and only time that Michael Jackson turned him down because he felt Black and White carried a serious message and he did not want it to be undermined by a parody. <laughs> Well, in in MJ's defense, that was a pretty, uh, lyrically speaking, uh, I see where he was coming from on that. Yeah, yeah, I do too. So, do you guys know what else, what other big Weird Al hit was on that album? It was 1992. Mm. 1992. What else was popular in 1992? Why it was grunge. It's so oh, Nirvana. Well, yeah. Nirvana. Like, yeah. like Teen well, Spirit. Oh, really? Smells like Teen Spirit. I thought, th- I thought like that Spirit, was yeah. a couple years later. No, nope. same year. That I remember was 92. Okay. Nope. That All was right. here. Yep. 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 So uh, he covered Smells Like Teen Spirit and made it Smells Like Nirvana. And it hit number 35 on the Billboard charts. Kurt Cobain and Dave Grohl said they felt like they had made it after Yankovic recorded it. Weird Al stated that when he called Nirvana frontman, Kurt Cobain to ask if he could use the song. Cobain gave him permission, then paused and said, um, it's not going to be about food, is it? And then he responded with, no, it'll be about how no one can understand your lyrics. <laughs> According to the bassist, Chris Novoselic, who was interviewed for Behind the Music, when the band saw the video for the song, they were laughing hysterically and uh, Kurt Cobain described him, or described Weird Al as America's modern pop rock genius. <laughs> and this was, <laughs> this was, awesome. This was released when uh, Courtney Love put out his his journal, his handwritten journal. So, yeah, I know. Another conversation for another day. All right. So uh, he considers this to be his first true satirical song. And Off the Deep End reached number 17 on Billboard 200, and it helped to revitalize his career after UHF, which was in desperate need. Because uh, after UHF, people, nobody wanted Weird Al anymore. So he went on back into the studio and 
He put out two more albums. They were both very modest success after Off the Deep End. Alpalooza was released in 93. The lead song on it was Jurassic Park, a spoof of MacArthur Park by Richard Harris. And it was mocking the movie, of course. Alpalooza uh, hit number 46. In 2000, Red Hot Chili Peppers bassist Flea told Behind the Music that he was unimpressed and disappointed by Bedrock Anthem. Um, Oh, I love that song. I, was I love that video. I was getting a song. I completely forgot about the song until I watched the video recently. And I thought, eh, I forgot about it for a reason. And anyway, he said, I didn't think it was very good. I enjoy Weird Al things, but I found it unimaginative. Now, I feel like this is the part where all of us came into Weird Al awareness. Bad Hair Day in 1996. And it was, <laughs> the lead song on it was Amish Paradise. Parody of coolio's gangster paradise so let's talk about the coolio fiasco (laughs) yeah i'm gonna be devil's advocate here in a minute all right all right reportedly coolio's label gave weird al uh the impression that coolio had granted permission to record the parody but coolio maintains that he never did while coolio claimed he was upset legal action was never materialized and coolio accepted royalty payments for the songs which, uh, for the song, not songs, because there were not more than two. But anyway, so after, you know, Coolio was like, no, I didn't, I didn't say it. I didn't do it. I didn't give permission. This is when actually Weird Al has made it a habit to always speak to the artist directly for any song that he wants to parody, unless he just can't get through to that person. He's, he's flown cross country to see somebody for performance just to go see them backstage to ask them permission and then go home. Like that's, and then fly back to California. So at the XM satellite radio booth in 19 or excuse me, in 2006, the consumer electronics show weird Al and Coolio made peace. And on his website, weird Al wrote, I don't remember what we said to each other exactly, but it was all very friendly. I doubt I'll be invited to Coolio's next birthday party, but at least I could stop wearing that bulletproof vest to the mall. I have heard Coolio in like, you know, obviously R.I.P. Mr. Coolio. But uh, within the past five or 10 years, I've I've seen him come out and say like, hey, you know, it's all water under the bridge. I'm glad he had success with that song. So in a 2014 interview, Coolio apologized for refusing and said I was being I was being cocky and shit and being stupid. And I was wrong and I should have embraced that shit. And went with it, and he considered the parody actually funny as shit. Now, Sarge. Okay, so 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 devil's advocate on this. You know, I rem- I remember, and I'm I am old enough to remember going to see Dangerous Minds in the movie theater. The 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 movie into which that song was written for, right? So I I mean the song was written, and back in back in those days, you know, music videos were also performed with those songs. And when he did the song, it really had a very serious tone to it, almost like black or white did, right? You could see where Coolio was trying to go with the lyrics of his music. So a little bit of devil's advocate. Yes, I can understand why he didn't want a spoof done of of the song. Now right. I also know doing a little bit of research on this out, you know, the Coolio beef, so to speak. You know, when he came out and he eventually was like, you know what? If Michael Jackson, who is an absolute legend, has said, yes, you can spoof my songs and is cool with it, that, you know, it's time for him to get off his high damn horse, essentially what it ended up being. 
So while I mean I don't know exactly if Weird Al ever got any anything back out of Coolio for that. I mean, at least he was like, look, I'm not I'm not better than Michael Jackson. And if Michael's okay with it, why shouldn't I be okay with it? And that's good that Coolio said he's not better than Michael Jackson because he wasn't ever at any point in his career. Maybe at the peak of his career and the worst of Michael Jackson's career, he was better than him. But you know. Anyway, so Amish Paradise reached fifty-three on Billboard. The album as a whole reached uh, reached number fourteen on Billboard two hundred and uh, was certified double platinum and making it one of his most successful works. Now, another song that was on that album was cover of Presidents of the United States of America's Gump, or Lump. His version was Gump. And they were so pleased with the song that they ended the song with the last line instead of their own. Um, And that's all I have to say about that. Um, On the Mm -hmm. live recording of Lump, and uh, featured the song on a compilation, Pure Frosting, they put out. I did find one thing that Coolio beat Michael Jackson at. What? The age into which he lived. Oh, God. I knew you were going to say yeah. that, you ass. I knew it was going to have something to do with that, but... Uh, <laughs> all right. So, premiering from September to December of 1997 on CBS was The Weird Al Show. The Weird Al Show was a live-action, skit-based children's show, and it was hosted by Weird Al. And it had guests that came on, downtown Julie Brown, Patton Oswalt, the Bare Naked Ladies. And now remember, this is in 97, and the Bare Naked Ladies are there, so I don't remember when the Bare Naked Ladies actually hit it. But David Bowie, Victoria Jackson, and our old friends, Monster, Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert, Drew Carey, and... and Macho Man Randy Savage were all on the show. <laughs> Have you heard Macho Man Randy Savage's rap slash rock album? No. No. Oh, look it up. The first thing you need to do when we're done recording is listen to that. Okay. All right. I think I think it's called Be a Man. Oh, it's it's awesome. So it was designed to be a part of CBS's mandated educational or informative programming block they tried to put out one time, and it was supposed to be, uh, you know, supposed to be kind of like a Pee Wee's Playhouse, but then it was canceled after one season, 13 episodes, that's all I got. But if you want to see this, you still can, because the entire series re- was released on DVD in August of 2006, so you could still get your hands on the Weird Al show. I'd rather not. Yeah, it's fine if you don't. <laughs> all right. When Running With Scissors debuted in 99, he, mm. he he showed up with a new look. He got rid of his glasses because he got LASIK surgery. He uh, shaved off his mustache and uh, cut his grown-out hair. And in defense of why he changed his look, he said, if Madonna is allowed to reinvent herself every 15 minutes, I figure I should be good to change once every 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> He parodied the reaction to his new look in a commercial for his non-existent MTV Unplugged special. The, co- <laughs> the commercial had Weird Al in the, in the short-haired wig from the music video for Hanson's River, <laughs> claiming his new look was an attempt to get back to, quote-unquote, the core of what I'm all about, the music. Uh, the more I learned about it, the more I liked him. <laughs> so, all right. Yes. The uh, the album Running With Scissors 
the big parody of it, Jerry Springer, was a parody of Bare Naked Ladies One Week. And uh, it was originally supposed to be planned to shoot a video, and Springer was going to be in it. But then, after hearing the song and reading the lyrics, he turned it down because he thought it was just too negative towards the show. Because that was a show full of positivity. And, right. uh, I mean, uh, Final Thoughts section of it was a, was a place to really get your, your wholesomeness. And, and for... For anybody listening to the show that's not of our age, what a weird show that was! Like, like, could you imagine anything like that being on television today? He create no. it, it is. It what, is. What What is on TV now? That is I mean, I mean, when Jerry when Springer. he left, like, when when Jerry Springer left uh, daytime television, the, the the Springer show, Steve Wilkos picked it up, and it didn't get much better, no. right? And they continue went on with that. You had Maury Popich, which yeah, which, but that's but not even the same. It, it's thing. It, it's still a train wreck. Yeah. And then when they got away from all that, when they got away from that, which which by the way, Maury's still on the air, but now he focuses on "Are You the Dad?" Yes, right. right? Which some of those are funny to listen to, and you and you know you can't help but pass judgment and take bets on who's the dad, who's not the dad. But now we have like Judge Judy, Judge, um, Joe Brown. oh my God, Joe Brown. Uh, there's now a spoof of the Judge shows in uh, England. I watch some of those on YouTube just because they're hilarious. Yeah, I mean it's still out there. They just see it in a different format now. Yeah, but not to the extreme that I because I still remember those infomercials like late night on the nineties. Uh, Jerry Springer too hot for TV. Oh yeah, where it was it was like whenever the women would get mad and punch each other until their tops came off. Like it was just two hours on a VH. the trashy version, the trashy er version of Girls Gone Wild. Yeah, it was if if Girls Gone Wild didn't want to put their commercials on one channel, Jerry Springer would just fit right in there with his too hot for TV. <laughs> All right, so another one of the the parodies on the album was uh, cover of All About the Benjamins. And it was all about the Pentiums. Pentiums. Yep. And uh, he made a point to talk to him on the phone personally. Like, would not record the uh, record the song until he got a hold of him on the phone because he did not want to repeat the Coolio incident, the Coolio <laughs> fiasco. So, also was the uh, Grapefruit Diet, which was cover of Zoot Suit Riot by Cherry Papadetti's. And it was about an obese, obese man going on a diet. And the final... Parody to ran out the album was The Saga Begins. And now you had mentioned before that you liked it when you made fun of Star Wars. And it was... Oh, uh, absolutely. Yep. And it was uh, recounting the plot of episode one. And uh, it was from the viewpoint of Obi-Wan Kenobi. And it was to the tune of American Pie. Speak of that. And I'm going to steal your thunder. And I don't care if I steal your thunder. I saw a video where... Uh, the the singer of uh, Don McLean, right? Don McLean, yeah. yeah, yeah. He actually started to one of his concerts started off with the parody song instead of the actual song. Yeah, he listened to it so much. Yeah, and uh, he actually says that he was so pleased with the parody that he listened to it all the time, and uh, the lyrics creep into his mind during performances and <laughs> and. And mistakenly mixes them up, but then sometimes he will do like a verse of it uh, during uh, American Pie, and 
Yeah, it's fun. I mean, when uh, when the the original artist is that much of a fan that he's going to perform your song, you know, your cover of his song. So, well, just like Dave Grohl said, I mean, it, it th- there was a point in time where it felt like if Weird Al was doing a parody of your song, you made it. Like it was like a big deal. Like you were such a staple of pop culture that Weird Al deemed it a good idea to do his version of your song. Like music, the landscape of the music industry has changed so much that a song doesn't like stay in the public consciousness that long anymore. It used to be Michael Jackson, Nirvana, Madonna. They would release these singles that would take over the world for weeks and months at a time weird al could do a parody and it would be kind of timeless now songs are popular for a couple of days or a couple of weeks it's it's a whole different universe now so speaking of songs that took over do you remember pretty fly for a white guy (laughs) yeah yeah he actually almost did instead of uh of the american pie cover he almost covered that song and it was going to be called Pretty Fly for a Jedi. <laughs> but then he just. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> but then he, he just he thought the idea because he wanted a parody. He wanted a parody of a song that was so classic to commemorate how important the new movie was going to be considered. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Little did he know. Yeah. He was a didn't do that mark. one. So, mix that up a little bit. Yeah. Kind of happy with the Pretty Fly for a Rabbi. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. All right, so this is where we are at the point that, Monster, you said that you saw Weird Al in the year 2000, and we are in the year 2000. Yeah, so like I said, I grew up listening to Weird Al. I loved his his music. I loved his music videos. And me and my dad went and saw him May 21st, 2000 um, in Greensboro, and it was a blast. Do you want me to give you uh, a rundown of the set list? Sure. Okay. So check this out. So this, most of these are songs we've actually talked about so far. And keep in mind, almost between every song, there was some kind of set change or costume change or something. The production on this show was, was incredible. Gump, Polka Power, Jerry Springer, Danger, you'll like this one. My baby's in love with Eddie Vedder. Um, <laughs> the night Santa went crazy. Dare to be stupid. It's all about the Pentiums. Germs. One more minute. Like a surgeon. Then he did this crazy medley. Um, Money for nothing. Beverly Hillbillies. Fast food. Addicted to spuds. Free delivery. Laundry day. Pretty fly for a rabbi. Another one rides the bus. I love Rocky Road, Achy Breaky Heart, Jurassic Park, Grapefruit Diet. I lost on Jeopardy and Eat It. Then, Smells Like Nirvana, Bedrock Anthem, Amish Paradise, Fat, The Saga Begins, and He Ended the Night with Yoda. That is a hell of a set list. I mean, that's mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of Banger after banger. <laughs> All right. Also, you know, following where Monster had his uh, coming of age experience with Weird Al, <laughs> he married Susan 
Krajewski at K R A J E W S K I. That's your last name. Sure. Yeah. What the hell did you just say? She Krud- got an easier Krud- last name, I guess. Krud- Krajewski? Oh, no. Yeah, Yankovic in this scenario is the easier name. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. Very true. So they got married in LA and they uh, currently live in a house that was previously owned by Heavy D. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So, all right. Running with Scissors uh, was followed by Poodle Hat in 2003. And Poodle Hat was met with average at best reviews, didn't have any standout singles, peaked at number 17 on Billboard 200. Yeah. That's one of my absolute favorite Weird Al records. It's so much better than it gets credit for. You would, like, yeah, if there is something I could describe like your musical taste, it's that you're always a fan of the things that nobody else is. It's okay, a, I can see that. I yeah. can see that. Yeah. Um, and again, going back to the whole Frank Zappa thing. So as as we're talking about Weird Al, there's there's two kind of songs. He does straight up parodies, and then he does originals that are usually in the style of somebody. Pistachios, so, I think is how it is. And it's just uh and that's actually he still has to pay out royalties for those because they're considered covers. Okay. Style so, parodies, he calls them. Yes. So there is a song called Genius in France on Poodle Hat, which is his homage to Frank Zappa. And it is brilliant. It's it's nine minutes long and it feels like a Frank Zappa song. He even gets the voice right. Poodle has a great record. I, It's better than people give it credit for. I'll say that. Well, while out touring supporting Poodle Hat, on April 9th, 2004, Weird Al's parents were found dead in their home in Fallbrook, California. And it was just from carbon monoxide poisoning from the fireplace. Completely accidental. No, that's still terrible. Oh, yeah. That's oh, so yeah. sad. Yeah. So sad. Yeah. So hours after his wife told him, he made the decision to go on with a concert in Appleton, Wisconsin. He later said, since my music had helped many of my fans through tough times, maybe it would work for me as well. It would at least give me a break from sobbing all the time. He considered the rest of the tour dates as therapeutic. He said, if I didn't have anything to distract me, I probably would have spiraled into an even deeper depression for a couple of hours. Each night I could go on stage and put on a big fake smile and pretend like everything was okay. In 2014 interview, he cited the deaths of his parents as the worst thing that ever happened to him, adding, I knew intellectually at, that at some point I'd probably have to, you know, live to the death of my parents, but I never thought it would be at the same time and so abruptly. Yeah. And then in 2006 came the album Straight Out of Linwood. Straight out of Linwood. Not sorry. Not, not out of. <laughs> out of. Out of. It had the single White and Nerdy. It was a parody of Raiden by Chamillionaire. And White and Nerdy. Chamillionaire. It's okay. I know there's an H, uh, but you said it weird. Chamillionaire. <laughs> you said it as white and nerdy as possible. Yeah. Well, guess what I am, everybody. Fair enough. So, all right. So White and Nerdy became uh, his first Billboard Hot 100 single debate debuting at 29. I'm going to go with your pronunciation instead of like Chameleon instead of Chameleon. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, 
I just I I I can't you like say it the, however <laughs> you want. In, in my head, like phonetics tell me it's not. Anyway, I, that's fair. That's fair. Chameleonaire was so very pleased, even putting uh, Weird Al's parody "White and Nerdy" on his official MySpace page. Yes, MySpace was still around in two thousand six. Big deal in that time. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> But he put it on his MySpace page before MySpace page before it was on Weird Al's own page. Chameleonaire said uh, in an interview, "He's actually good at rapping and uh, pretty good on it too," which I thought that was a strange way he worded that. He's pretty good at it. Pretty okay. All right. Well, Chameleonaire was a pretty good rapper, but not so good at putting sentences together. He wasn't a good linguist. Okay, he wasn't a good linguist. Well, he he was talking about Weird Al, saying that he's actually a good rapper. Uh, Weird Al is not going to do a parody of your uh, of your song if you're not doing it big. In 2007, uh, Air created White and Nerdy for his recent Grammy win, stating that parody was the reason I won the Grammy because it made the record so big it was undeniable. It was so big overseas that people were telling me they heard my version of Weird Al's song. <laughs> That's awesome. Nice. Other parodies on that album include a parody of Rage Against Machines killing the name uh, called uh, I'll Sue Ya. Uh, well, it's one Good of the one. one of the style parodies uh, that we were talking right, about. Right. Album peaked at number nine uh, with, uh, sorry, the single Canadian Idiot parody of American Idiot uh, peaked at number nine. The album as a whole reached number 10. And it was his first certified platinum album with over 1 million sales. We're going to talk <laughs> about something that Weird Al refers to as the Your Pitiful Controversy. So Weird Al had originally wanted to record a parody of James Blunt's You're Beautiful and release the song as the lead for his album. Uh, he approached James Blunt about the spoof. The singer approved his idea. Then Yankovic went into the recording studio April 12th, 2006, recorded his version entitled You're Pitiful. And Blunt's record company, Atlantic Records, told Yankovic that he could not include the song on his album. Atlantic felt it was, quote-unquote, too early in James's career for a parody and that they were afraid that focusing any more attention on Beautiful at that point might lead the uh, lead to the perception of James being a one-hit wonder. Now, this was in 2006. When's the last time you guys heard James Blunt put out a song? He was a one-hit wonder. But he was in the new Weird Al movie as a waiter for about five seconds. That was Josh Groban. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, it was. Sorry. Anyway. They're the same person. No. Um, the label promised they would let Weird Al release the parody at a later date, but Yankovic learned they had no such intentions. And since James Blunt was fine with the parody, Yankovic decided to release Your Pitiful as free digital download on his website. And uh, noted that if James Blunt himself were objecting, I wouldn't offer the parody for free on my website. But since it's a bunch of suits who are actually going against their own artist's wishes, I have absolutely no problem with it. And since then, when he performs the song in concert, he wears a T-shirt that says Atlantic Records sucks, (laughs) like (laughs) on stage. So in 2008, October 2008, he released Whatever You Like parody of T.I. song of the same name and uh, he had come up and written the entire song within two weeks 
Then Weird Al said, the benefit of digital distribution is I don't have to wait around while my songs get old and dated. I can get them out on the internet almost immediately. And in 2009, he released four songs, Craigslist, Dance, or Skipper Dan, CNR, and Ringtone. These five digitally released songs were packaged as a digital EP and released titled Internet Leaks. Yankovic wrote When I Grew Up, a children's book, released February 1st, 2011 which I had no idea that he had a children's book, but he does. It's about eight-year-old Billy presenting to his class a variety of uh, career possibilities that he's considering. And Weird Al say it, uh, said the idea for the book was based on his own uh, career path. And uh, number four on New York Times bestseller list for children's picture books the week of February 20th, 2011. And that is very specific children's picture books in just in that week. So wrote a sequel in 2013 called My Teacher and Me. 2011, Yankovic completed his 13th studio album, Alpocalypse. It included five songs from the Internet Leaks album or Internet Leaks digital download and created the polka medley, Polka Face. Yankovic had reported interest in parodying Lady Gaga's song, and on April 20th announced that he had written and recorded a parody of Born This Way titled Perform This Way uh, to be the new lead single of the album. He was initially denied permission to parody Born This Way or uh, Perform This Way, excuse me, for release on the new album. But through his release of the song on YouTube and subsequent spread through Twitter, because he was just denied uh, again by the uh, the record producers and all the 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 suits. Uh, Lady Gaga uh, asserted that her manager had made the decision without her input, and Gaga herself gave Weird Al permission to proceed with their parody to release. Gaga considered herself a huge Weird Al fan, and she stated that the parody was a quote unquote rite of passage for her musical career, and considering the song very empowering. That has been a running theme through all of this is that people consider it a rite of passage. So, all right. He then went and uh, donated all the proceeds from the song and the music video to the human rights campaign and was also a judge for the 10th annual independent music awards because he uh, supports independent artist careers, which, you know, yay. So he said in 2013, he was working on a new album. 2014, um, he really started utilizing social media more uh, to hint at a January or July 15th release of the new album, Mandatory Fun. He said in an interview promoting the album that the end of his recording contract is likely the last traditional album in the sense of recording and releasing that many songs at one time. He said he'll likely switch to releasing singles and EPs on the internet. He's really leaning into the digital release of things well like i said earlier with the change of the music business that was really smart because people don't tend to buy albums anymore hey i like a lot of new music but nobody is re nobody is releasing a smells like teen spirit no, no, no. one's releasing a beat it like those are gone so now weird al doesn't have those huge iconic songs he has to jump on whatever's hot right now. And if he waits three, four, five, six months down the road to release a record, a full length album, who knows if anyone's going to give a shit about that song anymore? 
Right. I'm, I, and, and in all honesty, we we go through Spotify or Apple Music or iHeartRadio or, or, or whatever app you use, whatever whatever service you use. Spotify. We go through, we create playlists. We put our songs on the playlist, no matter what they are. And very seldom do we drop an entire album into our playlist, unless it's like the old school albums, of course. So I will on occasion actually do that. I'll make a playlist of something on Spotify and I'll grab an entire album. Like if I'm making a playlist of a couple different artists, I'll grab like their albums that I like or their new ones and I'll put them all into a playlist and mix the songs all together. But, uh, you know, I talked about some time ago that I thought that it was going to be, you know, full albums are going to be less and less of a thing. And we're going to have people going back to releasing, you know, like people released the 45s at one time and it was just, you know, three, four songs. And I figured we were going to get back to that or just people releasing a single every, you know, every month. Two I've, months. I've said for you that entertainment is very reciprocal. And to your point, you know, people are, a lot of musicians that are from that 90s, 2000 era are getting pissed off because the album, quote unquote, is not important. And it's all about singles and releasing a single in a video and all this stuff. But that's how it was in the 60s and 70s. It's it's all reciprocal. There was a point in time where the Beatles were releasing one or two songs at a time. Like, yeah. It wasn't always, okay, this band was, you know, doing its thing. They took a year or two hiatus. Here they come out with this brand new record. Uh, I mean, will we get back to that in another 20, 30 years? Yeah, maybe. But like right now, it makes sense that we're in this period of one, two, three songs. And then by the time the album comes out, you've heard half of it. Right. Mandatory fun was released to great reviews. Number one on Billboard charts the week of its release, First World Problems, and uh, it was one of the style parodies of the Pixies, Debaser, uh, not a very good song, in my opinion. So his big parody, Word Crimes, his parody of Robin Thicke's Blurred Lines, uh, reached number 39. And, uh, yeah, and uh, this was his fourth top 40 single, following Eat It, Smells Like Nirvana, and White and Nerdy. And this made him the third musical act, the third musician, after Michael Jackson and Madonna, to have a top 40 single in each decade since the 80s. That's awesome. He yep. deserves it. Imagine Dragons provided Weird Al with advice on how to recreate some of the electronic sounds they use for Radioactive and his parody wow. Inactive. A <laughs> and it was during this that a small ongoing effort, because it hasn't ended since this, has been made by the fans to have uh, Weird Al perform at the halftime show at the Super Bowl. Yes, that would be fantastic. And this inspired him to oh, we write... Get to see 50 Cent hang upside down to do sit-ups again. Well, That was the last the, one. Yeah, the worst... Yeah. Oh, no, I was going to say the worst halftime show, but the Black Eyed Peas were worse. No, last year's was okay. It was... Snoop and Fifty Cent, Eminem. It, it was, it was no, it okay. Was, it was it was cool to see them all together. It was great listening yeah. to it, but like the setup of things. I mean, like it was just a weird setup altogether. And it was like that. I thought was the worst thing ever. Every year, my fingers are crossed for Metallica. 
I still think Metallica is the halftime show that we're waiting for. No, it's not going to happen. They already I play baseball agree. and football stadiums, so I mean they they pretty much do that every tour anyway. So whatever. Yeah. No. No. Sorry, I'm not going to support it. You're you're right. Let's let's get another Black Eyed Peas show. That sounds like a much better idea. Oh, that was terrible. But I mean, I also don't watch the. <laughs> I, I I can't tell you the last time I really watched a full halftime show. Anyway, like even the one we were just talking about from last year. I think I watched. <laughs> but a Weird Al halftime show would be fun. It that would. would work. It would, it would. So, anyway, the ramp up for this song, for this album, Mandatory Fun, was boosted by Weird Al's approach for releasing eight music videos over eight days, eight consecutive days. So, uh, and that was, that drummed up viral attention for the album, which was, you know, mostly released digitally. I'm sure you could buy the physical copy somewhere. So, and it became his first number one album of his career. So that, that album kind of marked a couple things within it. Since Mandatory Fun, he has not released any albums. In a 2017 interview with Rolling Stone, he said, I can't tell you when any material is coming out. Inspiration could strike tomorrow, and I might have something out next month. There's no plan. It's just going to be whatever uh, it winds up being. After several years of fan-driven campaigns, he received his own star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 2018. Yay! Good for him. In 2018, he released a new song, Hamilton Polka, and it was a polka medley (laughs) consisting of songs from the musical Hamilton. The songs hold a distinction of being the first polka song to chart on Billboard's digital song sales chart. But after Hamilton came out on Disney+, Plus, Yankovic released a video version of the Hamilton Polka that synced his song to video clips from the show which I recommend everybody go find it, listen to it. Because after, I mean, Hamilton, when it came out, Disney plus got played at my house like once a day. And so watching that had an extra special warm place in my heart. It gave me an extra little chuckle. So that Hamilton polka is the only thing that he's actually recorded since mandatory fun. He's been focusing on projects such as his tours and amping up the stage show. And 2022 parody biopic is actually what it's, what it's classified yeah. as weird, the Al Yankovic story. And uh, he said it has also become more difficult to find songs parody in a period of micro niche genres, making it hard to know what songs would have lasting impact. So with that, I do want to ask you guys a question. Why don't boxers have sex the night before a fight? Why? Because they just don't like each other like that. So, uh, talking about how it's difficult for Weird Al to spoof some more modern music, I thought if Weird Al ever did a spoof of Post Malone, he could be called Provolone and just do cheesy rap lyrics. (laughs) Sarge, what do you call a well-balanced horse? (laughs) I'm, I'm, I don't care what the punchline uh, is. That's awesome. I don't know. Stable. I, uh, yeah. Weird Al bought his daughter a musical instrument. It's all going accordion to plan. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, that's good. That's good. That's good. I did not come with any prepared themed jokes uh, this week. 
I've got I've got one more. Oh, I got I got a couple more that I could tell. But go on. Hold on, hold on. I, let me tell my my last weird owl joke. I drank something at a bar and sang polka parodies for a good fifteen minutes. That was some weird alcohol. Mm, yes. Okay. <laughs> See what you did there. That was a play on words. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. So, my printer was making music the other day. The paper was jamming. Yep. No, that's fine. That's fine. I I fully support your walking away. <laughs> All right. What so, do you call uh, an angry carrot? A steamed vegetable. Yeah. I I, I knew that one. Like, it was there. And I had the same response the monster's having right now when I heard it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I bit my lips so hard that it's bleeding. God, yeah. Why angry. did the bicycle fall over? Because it was too tired. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. going to punch my computer. It was like, I, <laughs> I knew that one and probably because I told it the other day. But it's like, I knew the answer was so bad. Like I had to internally groan, which gave you enough time to get out the answer. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like there's dad jokes. And then there's the jokes that just physically make me upset. Why didn't the triangle say anything to the circle? Because oh, it was pointless. Oh, God. I'm going to break my computer. Aren't we glad we only have one more episode of this left? Uh, and then we got to uh, figure out what we're going to do for the next season. No clue. All right. To anybody listening, if you want us to continue telling jokes in the fourth season... Then by all means, send us an email at dangerandsarge at gmail.com. Shoot us a message on Twitter, Danger and Sarge, Instagram, Danger and Sarge, or on Facebook, Danger and Sarge. It's a lot of Danger and Sarge. So, it is. Yeah. It's but, like I'm not even here. No. But see, you came to be a part of us uh, a little bit later on. And that's why that's why you, we got a Danger and Sarge plus monster on a, yeah. on the S4. So, Real flattering. Yeah. 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 I mean, we, we, we had to put them in there, right? Yeah. But I will tell you, gentlemen, at the closing of tonight's episode, that like boiling water, you'll be missed. Oh. Oh, no. Oh. All right. I'm going to break in half. I'm, I'm going to end recording just to make him stop. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Later. It's over. Done. Done.